Please take your Bibles and turn with me again to 1 Samuel. We'll pick up where we left off, chapter 18, verses 6 through 16. Chapter 18, verses 6 through 16. Last time we were in the book of 1 Samuel, what we read and studied about was godly friendship. We had the example held out to us of the heart of Jonathan, a heart of love that loved David as if he was his own soul. And we spoke about the need of every one of our souls for meaningful, spiritual, godly, deep friendship. And as I mentioned last week when we studied that text of Scripture, it's almost as if the telling of David's relationship with Jonathan is a bookend. It's the thing that we should know. It's a thing that we should understand about the ministry of God to David, David who is about to undergo the anger and the torment of an angry and jealous Saul. And so we have already studied that, and you'll see close to the end, I think it's chapter 21, Uh, We're once again going to see David and Jonathan face to face, the expression of brotherly love one to another. But here in these verses, we have Saul, jealous, angry, spiritually tormented and violent. And we have David receiving the brunt of it. Yet nonetheless, he is in the hand of God and the Lord sustains him. So let's read the word of God. And study it together. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. He said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. And Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people, and David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had a great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. The word of the Lord our God, may he give us grace and mercy to understand it and to receive blessing from its teaching. Let's pray again together. Lord, we love your word, and we pray that you would open it to us. Oh, Lord, that you would 
In every way, hold our minds and our hearts in your hands. Oh Lord, bring us into submission. Oh Lord, that we might receive your word willfully and willingly. Oh Lord, and be stirred for more love for you and more love for Christ. Oh Father in heaven, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jealousy is a sin of a heart long gone cold toward God. And just like other sins, jealousy degrades. It takes on a rot so that a person who is in every way at one point seemingly normal is then gripped by the sin of jealousy and then dives off more and more and more into other and even more serious sins. And I want to say simply this, that when we look at jealousy... It is a necessary thing and a right thing for us to be a little bit concerned. It's not a light sin. And I think there are times where we can convince ourselves that it's just fine. You know, you can look on another thing. You can entertain the beginnings of jealousy, a covetousness of heart, desiring what your neighbor has, what position they hold, what adoration they receive. And you can think, well, that's normal. Anybody would be a little bit jealous. But I think the text this evening shows us That it is a terrible sin and one that leads into more sin and more serious sin. And it's also one that in this example of Saul, we ought to learn the very good and very clear lesson uh, that we have to be a people to search our hearts and to put jealousy to death and to take the reins of our own spiritual life that we might not continue down the road of jealousy. Three things I want us to see about jealousy this evening. The first, verses 6 through 9 is that jealousy grows in the soil of self-entitlement. Jealousy grows in the soil of self-entitlement. Verses 10 and 11, jealousy bears the fruits of anger, spiritual attacks, and violence. And then in verses 12 through 16, jealousy decays into fearfulness and failure. Jealousy decays into fearfulness and failure. So as we come to this section of chapter 18, we're in the context of Saul and David's active relationship. So if you look back just a few verses, you'll see in verse 2, and read alongside me, that Saul took him, that is David, that day and would not let him return to his father's house. And this is the regular practice of Saul. Saul collects men for himself. And really, it's not a very unique or even historically uh, distinctive characteristic. It's a normal thing that weak men try to surround themselves with strong and gifted people to trick and to fool the rest of the world into thinking that they themselves are strong and they themselves are impressive. And that's what Saul is doing. He's a fallen man. He's really broken Yet he, nonetheless, is a man that desires to remain in power, to remain in the hearts and in the wills of the people of Israel. And here's David, the great champion of Israel, the slayer of Goliath, a great man amongst the armies of Israel. But oh, how things change. If you look down to our text this evening, you come to verse 6, and upon the departure uh, of Saul and and uh, David together, and we would assume also Jonathan in the party, 
Uh, We read in verse 6 that as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And up until this point, this is something that's a little bit normal. Uh, We read about, well, people coming down, even prophets, with tambourines and with singing. And who are they greeting? They're greeting King Saul. Saul is accustomed to this, in fact. You know, this is the, the trail, the victory march back to uh, the city of Jerusalem. And it's, it's common. I mean, after all, the people of Israel, ought they not be happy that they've been delivered from this terrible, possible disaster that could have been had at the army, at the hands of the army of the Philistines? Well, of course so. But it's what they say whenever they come to meet Saul. They were singing to one another alongside the road. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now, we all know that that's a little bit of hyperbole. They're overstating the affair, really. Uh, Up until this point, who is Saul? He's the king of Israel. Uh, He's been very successful. But is he a champion? Not really. Jonathan is a champion of sorts and his armor bearer. And Saul received all the benefit of this strong man, his former champion, his prince in the person of Jonathan. But Saul's not said to be this sort of man, not quite. Yes, he's the commander of an army. Yes, I guess in a roundabout sense we can point and say all of these victories belong to the king. But it's what they say about David that really stands out. Saul has killed his thousands, but David, his ten thousands. Now all of us know, we've been studying this text. Who's David? He's a shepherd boy. He's not a warrior. That's a point that Saul makes whenever he looks at him and compares him to the Philistine. That man's been a warrior, a man of war, since his youth. But David, you smell like sheep. You look like sheep because you've been with sheep. You're a shepherd boy. You're not a man of war. And you remember David? Oh, not a man of war, but I put some judgment on bears and lions by the power of God. And so it's a little bit of an overstatement. It's the sound of celebration. It's the rejoicing of people. They have a champion and he's mighty. And in their hearts... Goliath may as well be 10,000 men, tens of thousands of men, because after all, that one great act of David turned an entire army running in full retreat so that the armies of Israel could then go and overwhelm them. Now, if Saul was a little bit at all secure in himself, secure in his office, not having been a man that the Lord has absolutely told, will be deposed by a greater man, a man after the heart of God, maybe he would have been able to accept this, grit in his teeth a little bit, but nonetheless accept it. Israel has been saved. He does have a champion, but that's not at all how it played out. The jealousy of a sinful heart gripped him. And in verse 8 we read that Saul was very angry and this saying displeased him. David, who he was so impressed with, now his heart turns in anger against him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands, as it were. 
And what more can he have but the kingdom? And you just hear it. It's bubbling up like a poisonous stream in the heart of Saul. Won't they just give him everything? And then in verse 9 we read that Saul eyed David from that day on. Jealous and angry, very angry, venomous toward him. But you might have to ask the question, well, why is this going on in the heart of Saul? Or maybe you don't. You just think, well, I get it. Jealousy is jealousy. Everybody's experienced some form of jealousy. But we really need to bore down to the very bottom of it. And this is actually old sins coming to fruition. We would ask the question, why is he so jealous? Why is he so easily taken and triggered, if we can use that terminology, uh, by this simple song of random women, women of Israel by the side of the road? Well, it's because Saul believed that he deserved all the honor all the time. In Saul's mind, every room he ever entered, he was the most important person there. All eyes needed to be on him. He was the man. He, not David, was king. He earned the victory. David just happened to be his instrument of warfare. And Saul is saying, give me the attention. Give me the respect. Don't look at David. We've already seen him doing this again and again. We saw him doing it with Jonathan. After all, it was Saul's great victory. Moreover, we've seen him do this with the command of God. He was told to wage war, quite absolute warfare, encompassing the whole of his enemy according to the word of God, yet he did not do it. And it's this deep sin, this prideful sin, where Saul says, I'm going to be the one who decides everything. I'm the one in control. And that's why I'm entitled to all the praise, all the adoration all of the attention. And it's terrible. But it's that soil that gives way, the soil of self-entitlement to a heart that's so weak that when a good thing happens in the deliverance of the people of Israel, he can't even celebrate with the people. Instead, his heart turns green with jealousy against David. Now, I want you to see some contrast. This isn't a secondary point, but this is something to look at and to pay attention to. Turn over to chapter 17, verses 46 and 47. We've got an envious, very jealous Saul. But here you have a God-minded David. As he speaks to Saul, getting ready to go and to take on the uncircumcised Philistine, And the man Goliath, we read, David says this, This day the Lord will deliver uh, you into my hand, and I will strike you uh, down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beast of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword, And spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. You see, that's what he's saying whenever he's looking into the eyes of the giant Goliath. God's going to do this. 
David's not going to do it. God's going to do it. There is an essentially different heart in a godly person. A person not gripped with pride and self-entitlement, but rather a heart gripped with the glory and the might and the power of God. It's not David that's going to do it. My God's going to do it. And you Philistines are going to see it. And all of Israel's going to see it. And everybody's going to know, not about the greatness of David, but about the greatness of of God. David is nothing but an instrument. And so I just want to put that before you. The man of whom Saul is so jealous is a man who desires none of the glory, but who desires to deflect it all to the glorious God of heaven. A moment ago I mentioned that jealousy doesn't stay in its own form, but it continues to grow. It grows fruits. Those fruits are bitter and sour, and then they eventually rot. And it's the fruits that I want us to consider here in verses 8, 10, and 11. And the second point, that jealousy bears the fruits of anger, spiritual attacks, and violence. It's a really simple thing. The Puritans enjoyed uh, teaching this sort of thing and in an effort uh, to get the people of their congregations to be serious about sanctification. They used the phrase, sin begets sin. One sin then turns into another sin, into another sin as if sin is like a pregnant mother that is always going to give birth to more and to more and to more sin. It's like a pack of rabbits. And you start with one and you end up with 45. And so sin begets sin. And the jealousy of Saul does very much that. It grows like a weed that if it's not pulled up by the roots, it'll go on to continue to spread and end up choking out the healthy and the living things, the sweet fruits of the garden. And that's Saul's self-entitlement. That's his jealousy. And in verse 8, we read that that jealousy, whenever it turns, it turns towards David, and we read that Saul was very angry. But the reality of it is, is that his jealous anger had a target. If Saul had a bow in his hand, or maybe it's more appropriate to say a spear, His aim would not have just been in general anger, but rather directly at the man, David. So it's a thing to note that whenever you feel jealousy in your heart, go after it and kill it before it grows up into anger. Because that anger then grips a person and makes them to do things well that they normally would not do. It simmers in the soul of Saul and his mind And it made him into a wicked man, even more wicked than he already was. It's as if David was getting all the attention, even his own attention. And in his jealousy, he just got hotter, more angry, more unhinged. To the point where when we come to verse 10, his jealousy and his anger had grown so much in his heart that it exposed him spiritually to what the text of of this verse of Scripture tells us is a harmful spirit from God that rushed upon Saul. Now we saw this in chapter 16. We saw uh, Saul, a man dispossessed of the kingdom where God intended to replace him, uh, that uh, he was gripped uh, by the same phrase, a harmful spirit from God that rushed upon him and that the spirit of the Lord was withdrawn or retracted Uh, from Saul. 
But I do want us to simply understand that the, the anger and the rage gave the occasion for this circumstance. It's not indifferent. His anger that he didn't put to death then was like an open door uh, for the harmful spirit. But what's going on? A harmful spirit from God. Doesn't God only bless? Isn't God only love? Doesn't God always do good, sweet, and wonderful things? He's like a honey salesman. Here, try this. And if that's not sweet enough, then have this other piece and wonderful spoonful of sweet honey. Well, it's a right thing to understand that God is holy. That God doesn't send evil upon a person. But nonetheless, God may chasten His servants. He may chasten His creatures. Like a father who in every way is trying to draw back and to turn back uh, a man, he, he may well do that. And in this circumstance, I think a, a way to understand this is the retraction of the hand of God that prevents the assault of a harmful spirit. Uh, this giving over of Saul. We read about the Lord giving people over to all sorts of spiritual things. And uh, I think that there's something uh, of that. Now, we could... Uh, Uh, put it into different terms, God sent an evil spirit and just have to say, yes, absolutely, yes, that's true. And then how does that uh, accord uh, with the person of God? Well, it's something that we just need to be at home with because it's in the Bible and God reveals it to us and we need to accept it and be absolutely pleased with it and know that God is still good even in the midst of something like that. But the thing that I want to say to you and want to encourage myself also is that unrepented sin gives the occasion for spiritual torment. It just opens the door. When we don't check ourselves, when we don't put sin to death in ourselves, it just opens the door so that sin becomes for us a torment. The anger in Saul gets so stirred up that he becomes controlled by his mind and his acts and the things that he does. And what we read is that Saul is within his house and that he raved you can almost get this picture of Saul foaming at the mouth and you know he's he's going back and forth in his chambers and he's inconsolably angry but it puts him in a context doesn't it because whenever Saul has done that his advisors have prescribed him the medicine of spiritual praise David playing the lyre David playing probably psalms to calm the heart of the enraged and the tormented and the deranged Saul who is struggling with the long effect of his sin. Nonetheless, we see that this torment continues and it grows and it grows and it grows and it bears one more fruit and no longer is he just angry, no longer is he just raving, but now he's got a spear in his hand and the sin is going unchecked and the jealousy is growing up in him so much that what does he do? He throws it at David with the intention of pinning David to the wall. He does it not just once but twice. Can you imagine being David? He's in the shoes of service. This is what he's called to. He cares about Saul. He probably thinks, at least in some sense, Saul cares about him. But here's a man so angry that time and time again, he flings a spear at him. Now, I've never thrown a spear in my life and certainly not in anger, but I can only imagine that to throw one hard enough 
The intention to go through a man and to stick it into the wall has to be an impressive thing. To pin a man to the wall so that he cannot come up and then attack with that same spear yet again. And it's violence. So you have one sin, the sin of self-entitlement. I believe I deserve everything, even the control of my life. I'm the captain of my fate, growing over into jealousy, into anger, into spiritual torment, and now into violence against his fellow man and specifically against God's anointed man and the man of David. You have to be killing sin or sin will kill you. Unconfronted sin, unconfronted Unrepented of jealousy is a course that is going to hurt somebody. It may be you, it may be a family member, but it is somebody. And Christian, let me simply say, do not play games with sin and especially jealousy, but be about taking the wonderful sword of the word of God to it immediately. Sin must die or it will kill you and it will destroy people around you. And the example here of Saul towards David is, well, as clear as I think we can get in most of the Scriptures. I love that when we read this, that though Saul throws the spear, the sovereign hand of God, that same hand that we read about uh, just a few minutes ago as we recited the 11th Psalm is there and David was able to evade him twice. Now, we're not told, does David then run from the room? This man's crazy. I'm getting out of here. But we're still told of the terrible occasion. But again, the sin continues. And it has an effect. And it has an effect on not just other people, as we see in verses 8, 10, and 11, but it has an effect on us. Verses 12 through 16, jealousy decays into fearfulness and failure. It decays into fearfulness and failure. Verse 12, Saul was afraid of David. First thing you read. Saul was afraid of David. Why? Because the Lord was with him. Now, are you picking up any inconsistency here? Saul's afraid of David because God's with him. However, Saul doesn't seem to be all that afraid of the God who's with David. He knows that the Lord's going to sustain David, but the fear that he ought to have, not of David, but of the God of heaven, doesn't restrain him, doesn't put his sin to death. The godly fear of God, fear of his justice, the godly fear of God that makes us turn away from sin out of terror of the judgment of God. The second use of the law that restrains us from sin, that's not what he has. No, rather, he's afraid of David. He's driven down into himself by fear because he knows that the Lord was with him, but that the Lord had departed from Saul. Now, Saul's a king and he remains the king. He's got a crown on his head and he still has a right to the throne and a right to all of the tribute of the whole of the kingdom. But he's turning into a coward. He knows that his enemy can't be had, but that God alone and God is the only one who could sustain David in such a situation as this. He's not afraid of God. He's afraid of David. He's a coward. He's supposed to be a great man of might, a man who knows that God has him. 
and all of his interest in his hand, but, well, that's just not at all where Saul is. He's supposed to be a great man of war, a man of, in his mind, tens of thousands. He's trembling before the shepherd boy. And this leads him to fearful action. In verse 13, so Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. What is this? This is David just being kicked out of court. He just can't deal with it. He can't lay a hand on him. He understands that. God won't let him. Well, let's just get rid of him. I can't have all these people in the city of Jerusalem in my own courtroom. I can't have all of them going after David, loving David, giving David attention. I can't stop him. Let's get rid of him. Some commentators, whenever they think of this and study this passage of Scripture, there's a curiosity, and I don't think the text is altogether clear, but the putting away of David, a shepherd boy without military training, to be a commander of a thousand... Seems like a ready-made recipe for failure. If I can't kill him, I can't do anything with him. Well, I'll put him in a dangerous circumstance and draw back the men and see what happens. That sounds a little bit familiar, doesn't it, in the sin of David. And uh, it's unclear if that's exactly what it is, but nonetheless, he wants to get him out of his uh, immediate company. Put him away, get him indisposed with heavy and significant duty for the command of so many. And what we begin to read in the latter part of verse 13 is this phrase. You're going to see it again at the end. And he, that's David, went out and came in before the people. Now what does that mean? That's an Old Testament phrase that means the leading of an army. He went out to war and then victorious, he came back in in front of the people or in the sight of the people. And that phrase means that what has already happened with these women coming down and praising God and singing, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands, at the act of Saul made that to be repeated again and again. David enjoyed more than one victory prayed, but another and another and another. And where David would have impressed just the court of the city of Jerusalem and the Israelites, now the whole city and the whole kingdom is constantly reminded of the champion, the man of God's own choosing, that is there in the midst of them, the king who is ascending. And you go on and you read in verse 14 that David had success in all his undertakings For the Lord was with him. And of course that's the case. This is the promised king, the better man. The man who the Lord was spiritually caring for, for his ascent to the throne. Not a perfect man. We definitely know that in the history of David. But nonetheless, a king after God's own heart. In verse 15, we return again to the decay that jealousy has, that whenever Saul saw that he had great success, that David had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. Now that's a way to say it. He looked on David and he thought, there is no way a person could just do that by themselves. God has to be with him. 
And in Saul, he was terrified rather than overjoyed. You see, again, this, this jealousy, it decays into a thing that strips you of joy, strips you of gladness, strips you of praise, strips you of the things that you ought to be having, and instead it just drives you down into yourself, into fear, and ultimately into failure. If Saul was trying to be supplanted and replaced by David, well, he had just put him on a fast track. Put him in a situation where it was going to happen, And Saul would end up as a pitiful shell of a man, a failed king who had the kingdom and the hearts of the people and the heart of God taken away from him because of his sin, unrepented sin. You go on and you continue to read in verse 16, we read that all Israel and Judah loved David. Why? For he went out and came in before them. They loved David because he was behaving as a victorious king. And the hand of the Lord was upon him. And he was their deliverer. And he became their redeemer as a people from the hand of the enemy, the Philistines in the hands of all the enemies of the people of Israel. Now, if you hear this and you think, wow, you can absolutely Understand the shadow of Christ and the man of David. Think on it even more deeply. But as that first king, Adam, who then sinned against God, fell, the second king has come in Christ. And he went out in life. He waged war in popularity. He waged war spiritually and was attacked time and time again. was hung on a cross. He came back in and died for the people and He raised again. And so absolutely, sincerely and truly, there is in this the outline of Christ, the one who is an even better King, the one who truly and sincerely has always and will forevermore be the man after the heart of God. Let us pray together. Father in Heaven, we thank You for the Scriptures. Oh Lord, for the teachings that you've given us. Oh Lord, for how your word confronts us, gives us insight, even through ancient narrative into the depths of our own hearts and stands as a great warning to us of the things that we have to wage war against within ourselves. Oh Lord, let us not have the heart of jealousy. Oh Lord, by your spirit, give us mercy that that might be put to death so that it doesn't spread to the harm of ourselves and other people, and ultimately our lives cold and away from you. Oh Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.